0: Welcome to afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I know you're looking forward to today, as am I, because it's Guy Talk. But without two of the players, it's Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, so it should be renamed Retired Lutheran Pastor Talk.
1: <laughs> Does that sound Good about idea, right, you, gentlemen? Why, why are you acting
0: why Tom Brock? Why are you acting like an old person? I'm old, retired, but I'm not I'm on TV. I know you're on TV, but you're not pastoring your church That's like you did for thirty five years? How many?
2: Well,
0: let's see. I was ordained in years. 30 years? And, yeah. And, and Tom Parrish, how many years did you pastor?
1: I pastored for, oh my goodness, was it 38 years?
0: Okay, that's a whole bunch. So between the two of you, let's
2: add them up. What do we got? <laughs> 30 plus 38. And we got the scars to show it. You do? We do. Because yes, both Tom and I battled for the Bible in the midst of a liberal denomination. Of course you did. And we got our scars to prove it. So with over 70 (laughs) years
0: of experience, you can ask away. Let me know what your questions are. I know you've got some. 877- 933-2484. That's the text line. You can text your question. You can remain anonymous. But if you've always wanted to ask your own personal pastor a question but it seemed awkward, you can ask these guys. They would love to take your question. Again, 877- Nine three three two four eight four, so um, if we can just get things started, I've been reading in the book of Mark, as a matter of fact, Mark chapter six, and I've been looking at um John the Baptist, who got beheaded, and it was a pretty complicated relationship with Herodias, wasn't it? Yes, <laughs> I it mean was. He, he uh Herodias's daughter, who danced for Herod, pleased him and. He offered her anything up to and including half of his kingdom. Pretty nice offer.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Great offer. I'd dance for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I a... think there was a little, a little wine that helped him.
0: Okay, very generous offer. So the daughter goes to her mom, and her mom, who's been holding a grudge for a long time, said, I want the head of John the Baptist.
2: Because John the Baptist said to Herod and Herodias, it's a sin for you to be married because she is your brother's wife. Yes. So Herod's brother, Philip, was
0: married to Herodias, and then I don't know how Herodias and Herod got married. How'd that work out?
1: I don't know. Yeah. Historically, I don't know.
0: Yeah. But John the Baptist loses his life over her angry grudge and their their sinful
2: relationship. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a... And if you want to be a pastor who loses your head, all you have to do is say, you know, careful. this is 1 Corinthians 7, this is Jesus talking, mm-hmm. whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Yeah, that's a
0: complicated issue for sure. It and is. I don't think we're going to go into it but today, but thank that's you. But that's a
2: way to get your head chopped off. Oh, for <laughs> sure,
0: for sure. But it seemed uh, like John the Baptist, for the amazing life he lived, had kind of a sad ending.
1: I mean, you're getting from a human on, point of view. You're right.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's getting beheaded on mm-hmm. short notice,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that is being presented at a dinner party. Yeah.
1: Well, he was really what we would call the last great prophet. In in one sense, Jesus said, "Here's what John the Baptist did. He spoke the truth. And whenever anybody speaks the truth of Jesus Christ, they're going to get in trouble with somebody, and the outcome may not be what we like, but the outcome is still." regardless of Herodias and what she wanted and she was angry at him, it still goes back that John was proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus is the Lamb of God.
2: And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for people who speak the truth and lose their job or their head because of it. I do too. And we live in yeah. a day and age where does anybody stand for anything? And when I hear of someone who loses their job uh, or overseas who loses their head in certain Muslim lands, for the sake of the gospel, I've got a lot of respect for those people.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, they're amazing. And I have had the privilege of meeting some of those people. And a couple of them are now deceased. They've been martyred. And you come away so humbled because their love for Jesus was exquisite, but they would not compromise who Jesus was and what he commanded us to do. And it's pretty amazing to see.
0: I like it. All right. Um, Can we live a life that God considers righteous? Good question.
1: Well, I think, No. Uh, you go ahead, Tom. The reason I say no is this. Jesus on the cross gave us his righteousness as he absorbed our sinfulness. Now, we can do righteous things, but we're not consistent at it. That's the problem. Jesus was always consistent. Biblically, to live a righteous life means that from one end to the other, you're walking that consistent path as Jesus did. I'll be honest, I've been a pastor all these years, and I cannot walk all the time a path of righteousness where I don't see something wrong or sin or think something I shouldn't. So fortunately for us semi-righteous people because uh, who, you know, of life, we have the blood of Jesus, and we call out and repent a lot mm-hmm. because that puts us right back where we belong in his presence.
2: We don't have anyone who's got the sinless righteousness. But I think even in the Old Testament, I think they called, if I remember right, they called Job and Noah righteous in their generation. And they were, but then Noah gets drunk and and Job. So righteous means not sinless perfection, but generally walking righteously with the Lord. That doesn't save anybody because nobody does that like Tom just said consistently. Mm -hmm. We all deserve hell for our sin. Uh, But... You know, Jesus talks about those who are considered worthy to attain that age, the age of the resurrection, don't get married. And so Jesus says worthy there. Now, there's one sense in which nobody's worthy, but then there's a sense in which we are righteous because of the blood of Christ. That's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. But there is something called the imparted righteousness of Christ, that we're not only just declared righteous because of Christ's death, he actually starts to clean our lives up and impart righteousness to us.
1: So, Well, the interesting part, too, is that while we were yet sinners, enemies, Jesus died for us. I don't know anybody, that's my enemy, that will die for me. I don't know anybody who really knows the sinful things I've done that would step into my place. But Jesus still came looking for me as he's looking for you. And I think we live in an age where it's easy—you know, you look at, at uh, Twitter and other things, and these kids are putting each other down all the time. The reality is, it, no, 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 we don't need to go there. Sinners, yes. Need of a Savior, yes. But Jesus looks at us with value, and so much value that he was willing to go to the cross for sinful people like you and me.
2: And the man uh, runs up to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus stops the one man. No one is good but God alone. <laughs> and then you read Romans chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul goes through the Old Testament and selects verses to show the utter sinfulness of all human beings to get you ready for the salvation that he's going to present uh, in, in Romans yeah. 3. So, yeah, you you got to maintain that you're a sinner, but you've also got to maintain that the Holy Spirit does make a difference in your life. You know, He does start to impart oh. righteousness into your life.
1: I repent much quicker, Tom, than I used to, Mm -hmm. because I see how out of line I am with Jesus and how I need to get back in line, and so repentance comes much faster. And I must admit, there are some sins I had earlier in my life that are pretty much extinguished, but that doesn't make me a a good person. My goodness is only because of what Jesus has done for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is Guy Talk, and it's it's a couple of Toms. That's the power panel today, so (laughs) if you have a— Question, let me know what it is, 877-933-2484. All right, here's a question. Jesus always opened his prayer with Father, or in the Aramaic, Abba, except for on the cross. He said, my God, my God. What's up with that?
1: I'll give you the first shot, Tom.
2: Well, people need to know that, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, written by David about 1000 B.C., And what's amazing about that chapter is that it predicts the crucifixion uh, 800 years. I think crucifixion didn't come into existence until like 200 B.C., 1,000 B.C. David is talking about this man who has his hands and feet pierced, calls out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're casting lots for my garments. And it is such—it's one of those amazing passages where God predicts 1,000 years B.C. what happens on the cross— and so uh, why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Two, I think two issues. One, he's trying to get people, go read this chapter. I'm fulfilling it right now. That's one thing I think is going on. It never says that. But then the other reason, people think, well, Jesus felt forsaken, but God never really would forsake his son. I think that's wrong. The, the price for our sin is for Jesus to be totally forsaken by the Father. That was the hell he was paying for us. So I think God the Father did forsake his son, and dump the punishment for our sins on his only son. So I think literally that happened.
1: Good word, Tom. Let's add something to that if we can. I believe up to this point in biblical history, whether you're talking about the Jews, you're talking about the other religions, nobody called God Father. And Jesus is showing us a unique relationship between him and the Father because he's God the Son. And then in Matthew, he invites us to pray our Father, our Father, and that was revolutionary. didn't had never really happened before. And I think it was uh, for the, the Jews, the religious leaders, they thought that was almost blasphemous, the way he talked. And if I remember right, the word Abba, which is used in the Greek, literally means my daddy. There's an intimacy to Jesus calling God mm-hmm. Father that had never appeared in history before. And that is uh, amazing. And what that tells me is that no matter how far astray I go or what I do, you know, like in Luke 15, I have a loving Father who's waiting for me and with outstretched hands and wants me to come back into the fold. And I give thanks for that every single day.
0: Well said, Tom Parrish. We'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more questions. Let me know what you've got for the Toms. I've got Pastor Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. Uh, Peter Kapsner is not available today. And 007, Justin Jepsen, I think they just had a baby yesterday. And he is in desperate need wow. of sleep.
2: If he wants, if he wants me to baptize that baby, I'll, I'll be right over. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for bringing the show
0: to a draining halt, there, Tom.
2: All right, there we'll goes your audience, Bill. All the Baptists just turned us off.
0: It is Guy Talk Hour, or today would be Tom Talk Hour, because the only two power panel players are Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. Lovely to have them both with me today. And Tom Parrish, you are on location. You are in Ohio. Where are you?
1: I am. I'm down near Columbus, and I've been teaching all week. And I have one more session to teach tonight after we end our radio broadcast. Nice. Great crowd. It's been a wonderful time.
0: I love hearing that. Thanks for sharing that. Here's a quick question: Um, Is there a brief and easy way to explain replacement theology?
2: Well, I think this is what this person means. There uh, is a teaching that when the Jews rejected Christ, then the new people of God was no longer the Jews, but the church. Mm -hmm. So some people teach that uh, the Christian church replaces the Jews as the chosen people of God. I think there's truth in that. In Galatians, Paul talks about peace be upon the Israel of God, which I think is a reference to now the church. However, you can believe what I just said and still believe God is not done with the Jews. Because if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul the apostle, who was Jewish, is struggling with what do we do with the fact that the Jewish Messiah got rejected by the Jews? And Paul basically says God is not done with the Jews. Once the Gentiles come in, then there will be the time of the Jews. And, and I, the way I understand those chapters, there will be Jews converting to Christ before the end. Mm-hmm.
1: And that may well be. What saddens me is that we even use this kind of language with other Christians, that this person is a replacement theology person. You go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9, and it says, and he's writing to, to believers, and he says, but you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim him, proclaim the excellencies who will call you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The same language that was used for the Jew with the covenant in the Old Testament is used for Christians in the New Testament. So there is a, there is a merger there. And how that all works out, I'm not totally sure. But I think that both sides have some legitimacy to what they're saying. And I wish both sides of the issue would listen to each other and go back to the Bible.
0: Nicely said. All right, here's another question regarding John, chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And the question is, is that verse referring to two groups of people? The group that received him, and even to them that believe on his name. Are those two different
2: groups?
1: I don't think so. I just taught on this last night. Well, I, I think I will let Tom Paris first. go
2: first. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah.
1: Just, just give me a minute here. You've got two different words here. Receiving and believing are two different, you know, words being used. Receiving is like when the opportunity came along, when the gospel was presented. You know, it's kind of like a football receiver. You caught the ball. You know, the spirit threw you the ball, or however you want to put it, and you literally received him. You took him in. To believe on him now is the continuous, ongoing action. So receiving is a one-time event, but believing is every day, and I think that—I don't know if it's called pluperfect in in the Greek, but basically it is now and ongoing from that moment forward. So in the original language, I believe we're talking of the same person, Mm -hmm. that there's the receiving part, and then there's the continual ongoing faith.
2: And, you know, I have—I know some people who don't like when people talk about receiving Christ, because they will say— that no he receives us we don't receive him and if you if you if you receive Christ that's an act you do by which you are saved and we know that there's nothing we can do by which we are saved i think that is wrong and here's why i agree the lord opened lydia's heart to receive the thing said by paul so but do you have to receive christ to be saved That's what we just heard in John 1. To as many as received him, to believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yes, you can't repent on your own. You can't believe on your own. You can't receive him. But I I know some hyper-Lutheran types who don't like Billy Graham and where you go forward and receive Christ because it's decision theology and we don't make that decision. Well, we do, but only by the Holy Spirit. It's not Mm -hmm. what we do. It's the Holy Spirit doing it in us. So I think some of those people get... Too tripped up on that language, especially when you got a verse like that that says you got to receive him. Mm-hmm.
1: I am kind of an unusual Lutheran because in the churches I served, occasionally I would have altar calls. I would call people to come mm-hmm. forward to receive Jesus for the first time. Mm-hmm. I would call them forward to repent, and I saw—I've seen a lot of people do that. And one of the things I emphasize to them, keeping this person in mind, is I would say to them, not only do you need to repent and receive Jesus, but you are now making a lifelong commitment to be his disciple from this day forward. And I think that's the part that we need to get across, because I had one guy who received Jesus. He didn't come back to church. I finally tracked him down a couple of weeks later, and I said, Bill, you received Jesus. Why didn't you come to church? You know, why aren't you being a disciple? He said, he never asked me to. He said, all you had to say, all you said was, I need to repent and receive Jesus. And he was right. That's exactly what I said, but from that moment on, I changed my language. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the discipleship is what God calls us to do, mm-hmm. evangelize and do discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both. Exactly. All right. Uh, great conversation with Pastor Tom and Pastor Tom. Kind of repetitive, but that's—I mm. like that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Easy for you, Bill. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Can they
0: please explain this passage from Matthew chapter 3— now, of course, Tom Brock doesn't even have a Bible, but he's looking up, I'm just, recalling that's right. the Bible have, that's in his head. Which I have the Bible memorized, Bill. Fascinating. We're
2: up to Matthew wait, 3. <laughs> okay, no, it starts no. in
0: verse 7. No, verse 7, yes. But when he... <laughs> You're really pestering me right now. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves... We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. They want some understanding of that verse. Should we take the whole next half hour to do that? You could.
1: We could, but I don't think we need to. This verse also parallels what we talk about replacement theology to a degree. What I mean by that is, It is not simply the race that you're born in or that you came from the line of Abraham. (laughs) Right here, you've got John the Baptist or you've got the Lord saying, hey, it it doesn't matter because the Lord can raise up out of these stones children to Abraham. It is those that ultimately not only repent, but then change their behavior because they come in line with Jesus and let his thoughts be their thoughts, his actions, their actions. And I think that's the hardest thing Probably I've had to get across to people that it's not enough to just simply get your ticket punched so you don't go to hell in repenting, but you're repenting so that you can now become like Jesus for the rest of your life.
2: And notice John the Baptist is calling the Pharisees a bunch of snakes. Jesus called the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. Yeah. That says to me, there is a place to say a hard word, and you'll get accused of being a hater. If you say the hard word, but Jesus did it, the Apostle Paul did it, uh, John the Baptist did it, and there is a time to say
1: the hard word.
0: Mm-hmm. Someone
1: texted this. It's over. interesting. Oh, go ahead, Tom Parrish. It's just interesting, and I agree with you, Tom. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Scriptures, Jesus did not say the harsh word to what we would call the the prostitutes the and broken the tax sinner. collectors. Yep. It was to the the religious leaders who thought they were already beyond having Mm -hmm. any need for a Savior. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important today, and I really believe that people like Tom and I, Bill, you, and, and so many others, we need to speak out to Christian leaders, and I like people speaking out to me. I need to be held accountable that what I'm saying is from the Word of God, and it's not just my personal opinion based on my experience or what I like. So there is a place, but we need to do it wisely.
0: Here's a text that came in. There is a difference between works righteousness and the works that show that our faith is alive as talked about by James.
2: Oh, that's, absolutely. That's right. Works righteousness is I'm I'm earning my own salvation, which the Bible denies. And then there's the works that come out of faith that are, you know, we're all supposed to do. Works don't save me. Your... Works don't save Good works don't save me, but they are the evidence that I've been saved by grace alone.
1: I've got a picture that I use, I use PowerPoint a lot, and uh, it shows on the left side, the sinner, the totally lost sinner, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ coming in, and by faith, you know, being received, and becoming that new person. But on that side are, you know, following the Ten Commandments, being a good person, you know, not swearing, all those things. Those don't get you into heaven. In the middle, I have a filter, because I'm a photographer, so it looks like a camera filter, and it has the word thankfulness in there. Once you have been saved, once you have met Jesus, everything you now do, the good works, giving, forgiving, is all based on thankfulness. You are so thankful to Jesus for what he did to bring you out of darkness, you can do no less now for anyone or anything else, but they don't earn you a thing. They only reflect what you've already been given.
0: Nicely said, Tom Parrish. All right, we're going to continue uh, Guide Talk, or Tom Talk, today, because our power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. You've got the two Toms cornered. Let me know what questions you'd like them to answer. I know. 877-933-2484. There's always another option if you feel more comfortable emailing. My email is bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back. It is the afternoon show, and on Thursdays we have guy Talk, which I always look forward to because it's always fun to be in the fellowship of brothers in Christ that want to talk about God's Word and how we apply God's Word to our life. So this hour is all about what questions you may have. So we do need to hear from you, and I appreciate some of the great questions that have come in already. And If you want to send a question over, 877-933-2484, that would be the way to get your question on the air. And if you want to remain anonymous, you can do that. That's not a problem. All right, here's a question. I have heard that biblical love is not an emotion, but a choice. Can your panel of pastors confirm if that is true? And it is, a, it, how do I practice this kind of love? Good question. I'm going to let oh, Tom Paris question. go first.
1: What it comes down to is that we have equated love uh, in our society with emotion. And I've had many couples come in and say, you know, we've been married for five years and I don't love her anymore. And my response is, aren't you going to choose to love her every day because you've made that commitment and you're going to be there for and that's kind of a new thought for a lot of young people, especially. Biblically, there are several different words for love and we, that are in the scriptures. But when you get to agape type of love, the kind of love we're to have, that love is strictly a choice. We choose to love because we have first been loved. We love even those that have hurt us because Jesus has loved us. When you get that in mind, you move beyond the emotion I just had a person ask me today, and seriously, she said to me, how do I move from my uh, desire to forgive a family member, but my emotions aren't there? And I said, you're doing the right thing. You make the choice. You choose to love. You choose to forgive, because Jesus said to. You verbalize that, and you keep doing it and wait for the emotions to catch up. And in my experience, for some people, that takes a long time. For others, it can literally happen overnight. But choosing to love makes all the difference in the world.
2: And I think, too, some of this is personality type. I mean, some people are just real emotional people. And so oh, yeah. they're they're always, you know, crying and feeling things. Uh, I mean, for, I, I get emotional toward the Lord and I, I get touched by him. But I'm not there frequently. <laughs> and so I think it, when it comes to God— uh, we love God. Uh, our love um, sometimes comes out in emotions, but some sometimes people are concerned that they're not saved because they don't have an emotional experience a lot with the Lord. And I think you need to just put that to bed and say, look, you're, you're saved by faith and not by your emotions.
1: Yeah, it's really what Jesus in the Word has told us that we need to rely on, not how we feel about it. Mm-hmm. Because my feelings, I'll be honest, I've been married nearly 50 years, and I can tell you, I run the gamut of emotions in terms of being in love with my wife. But as I keep learning to choose to love her over and over and over, it's amazing how often the feelings catch up. All and right. I hope she's not listening.
0: <laughs> I like that. All right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing and spiritually dead. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, if the message of the cross is foolishness, and yet as we want to go share our faith with others, we tell them about the cross.
1: Yep. What we do and what we're trying to do here is this. When I try to witness the people, and, and I, I'll even quote from Scripture, as we've done here, and I'll tell them about Jesus and the cross, but what I'm trying to do is connect their shame and guilt because they don't see it as sin, but their shame and guilt, their brokenness, their mistakes with the love of Jesus and that power, because up to that point in their life, nobody has ever offered them real cleansing for what they've done. They just hide it. And this word here is, is simply this, the harder you become at heart through your own sins and shame, the more foolish the cross becomes. And it takes the breaking power of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes that's through uh, circumstances. Sometimes that is uh, simply the Holy Spirit showing up and changing the heart, and I know of people that have had even those kind of experiences, Bill and Tom, but still refuse to receive Jesus. And then they make it that that choice, they're not going to do it, and that's the tragedy. But uh, for those of us who believe, yeah, now we know exactly what it is, but before I really believed, it didn't make a lot of sense either.
2: And I think in the same chapter, the Apostle Paul says— Greeks seek for wisdom, Jews look for signs, but we preach Christ crucified. And in the Greek world, philosophy was a really big deal. In the Jewish world, miracles were a big deal. And Paul says, that's not what we preach. We don't preach either. We preach the cross. And I'm reminded of what Billy Graham said many years ago. He said, when he was a young evangelist, he gave the altar call and almost nobody came forward. And he's talking, I think, to an older preacher afterwards wondering, what happened? Why didn't people come up? And he said, Billy, tonight you didn't preach the cross. Mm. And he said, after that night, I determined I was going to mention at least and preach the cross in every sermon that I preach. And I had a a, a supervisor, a a wonderful man, Christian pastor, who when I was a vicar, uh, he was over me. And he said, you've got to ask the question when you're done preaching, could that sermon have been preached had Jesus not died on the cross? And he said, if you did, if that's true, then it wasn't a Christian sermon. So I'm not saying you have to go on and on, but every sermon somehow should include the way you're saved, which is what drives me crazy sometimes. You go to churches and you hear, be nice, be good, go out and be nice to people, but you don't hear salvation on the cross.
1: It's interesting, though, and I'm sorry, I can't find it. I'm looking through my Bible right now. I just read it. Paul says to the Christians, we didn't come among you with merely, you know, words, but with signs and wonders. There's a place for signs and wonders, but they're after people mm-hmm. experience the presence of the Lord Jesus. Before that, I remember one professor saying one of the tragedies of unbelief is that you can watch you could watch Jesus do a miracle, and five minutes later it'd be saying, do it again, Jesus, just a little bit slower because we think everything's a trick until we meet Jesus, and then the miracles make sense.
2: And, and Paul said to the Corinthians, when I came to you, Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Yes. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I want to remind you, Corinthians, how you were saved when I preached to you the gospel. Namely, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. So if you're at somebody's deathbed, If you're trying to convert the guy next door, if you're trying to share uh, Christ with your children, the nutshell is Christ died for your sins, he rose from the dead. That's how people get saved.
1: Yeah, miracles and signs and wonders don't save you. Mm -hmm. Only the cross of Jesus saves you. Mm -hmm. But once you know Jesus, then the signs and wonders become, for some, a part of their, their ministry. And when I was overseas, I saw some tremendous miracles and signs and wonders for the unbelievers that scared them to death, for the believers that gave them boldness. Hmm.
0: You're listening to the Guy Talk or Tom Talk today. Our guests are pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. So keep the questions coming in, 877-933-2484. I have a couple of questions that have just popped up regarding the Lord's Prayer. You guys ready? Yes, sir. The yes, first one is, what name is Jesus referring to when he says... Hallowed be Thy name.
2: I'd say the name of the Father, because He just said, "Our yep. Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be Thy name." And you know, <laughs> so have, He's
0: addressing the Father. That that a title,
2: Father. It's the it's the Godhead. I mean, you've got God the Son talking to God the Father there. But okay, but and you know, Bill, Hallowed be Thy name. I and I when I hear somebody say, "Oh my God." I stop and I pray for that person, mm-hmm. Lord, bring them to Christ, help them. And a lot of pe- Christians do this, and, yeah. and, and I've, I've seen pastors do it on television, and they'll stop their sermon and say, oh, my God, and I'm thinking, uy. But, you know, that's it's, it's one thing we need to be careful about is how we use the
1: name of God. I agree. Well, and, and Jesus is casting Father in a relationship, not simply as a monarch sitting on a throne, But as a relationship that we have with him that's intimate, we can talk to him, we can share with him. He wants to hear from us, and we want to hear from him.
0: When Jesus is teaching us this prayer, this this model of prayer, and he says, Hallowed be thy name, are we declaring it to be holy? Is it some pledge we are making to God's reputation and keeping it honorable?
2: Can I answer that question? You may, Tom Brock. Let's go back in time 500 years. I can't do that. I can. Okay. Martin Luther Luther said, hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is hallowed in and of itself. But we pray in this petition that it may be hallowed also among us. So God's name is always holy. And God is always holy. But when you're praying, hallowed be thy name, may I treat your name as holy today. May the people next yes. door, the people in the media, may the world start treating your name as holy.
1: You know, one thing that I've never gotten used to as a pastor or as a husband is how many times I'll be with a man, and he'll he say, well, i got to go, the wife's at home. And I hate that terminology. Doesn't she have a first name? And it, to me, it's kind of disrespectful. What the Word is saying here is treat the Father, you know, with utmost respect, for his name, for who he is, and for his love for you.
0: Nicely done. All right, here's another question. Um, I need some recommendations to help re-engage my son, daughter, they're ages 18 and 20, back into pursuing the Lord. Both have accepted Christ. They've been baptized six years ago, but since their mom And my divorce, my time with them is very limited. They respond, yes, dad, I know, to my gentle nudges. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a tough one. And kids get ideas fixed in their head. And once they do that or how things happened, even though they don't have the whole story, they can become, what I'll say, judgmental or very critical. One one thing I'd recommend to the dad is that he needs to find a way to address what their real issue is. And I have actually seen, uh, I saw one man sit down with his kids in my office, and he said, You know, I sinned against you and against the Lord when I divorced your mom and when I ran off with another woman. I was wrong. I wish I would have never done that. I can't make it up, but all I can do is tell you that I have put this before Jesus and asked for forgiveness. I've asked your mom for forgiveness. And now I'm going to ask you for forgiveness. And then you kind of put the onus back on them to whether they're going to carry that kind of frustration or anger and not listen to you. Uh, once people repent in front of me, boy, I would say it's hard not to treat them as whole individuals again.
0: Uh, nicely said. All right. We got a little more time. So if you have a question, send me the text eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Guy Talk is always a fast hour of the week. Uh, can you believe how fast this goes,
1: gentlemen? Mm-hmm. No. It's fun, Bill.
0: No. It is fun. That's why I think it goes fast. I love it. Yeah. So text the questions over. Guy Talk today is also Tom Talk, because it's Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. That's the squad. We'll be right back. All right, your microphone's
2: on, and you're... I was going to say, Bill, you can really play the piano.
0: Thank you, Tom. Yeah. All right, let's get the piano taken out of the studio. <laughs> <Set it> off, <laughs> taking up too much space. All right, welcome back to Guide Talk. Uh, we've got pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, and they've done a nice job of answering all the questions that have come in so far, and I appreciate them and their responses. Here's a question from my wingman, Terry. He said, as Christians, should we be against the death penalty? The Bible says in Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord.
2: And in the same book, I, I don't have the right to avenge when somebody hurts me. No. But the government does. And if you read Romans 13, same book, where he says, Don't avenge yourself, beloved. The government has been given the sword by God, to execute God's wrath upon the evildoer. So I don't have the right to go and, and kill somebody who's killed my friend, but the government does. So I, I think the get, I think Romans 13 allows for the death penalty.
1: Yeah, it doesn't specifically say, but it is implied there, Tom. I agree with you.
0: All right, here's a, uh, a question here. I'm just trying to read through these really fast because uh, now they're coming in like crazy. Um I strongly believe, this is from a previous thing we discussed, I strongly believe that we have to ask Jesus to come into our hearts. I have several family members that say all you have to do is believe and you are saved, question mark. I feel as though if you're fighting over something that trivial, which probably isn't trivial in the long run sometimes, I think they feel like they are having to bow down and maybe that's not the right word but to ask.
2: Overwhelmingly it talks about being saved by faith. Mm-hmm. Name one place in the Bible where it says to be saved you have to pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. The closest thing to that is Revelation three. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And John is writing that to people who are Christians. Right. So I don't think anything's wrong with praying and asking Jesus into your heart but it is way overdone. I don't see one place where an apostle says, okay, now pray after me, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, come into my heart. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming norm is the apostles are preaching the cross and as many as believe are, are saved and baptized.
1: So I think, But you go to Romans 10 and we got a problem here because it says, what does the word say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess, confess with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there Paul puts the two together, and I'm not I'm not jumping on anybody's bandwagon, one or the other there, but there's a place for a verbal confession, and there is a place for the internal commitment, and I think we overplay it in some ways, and just saying a prayer to, you know, not, uh, you know, just that sinner's prayer. Uh, I personally say confess Jesus with my mouth every single day of my life, because I believe I need to do that, and then in my heart, live through that. So it's both. Uh, There's both. What Tom is saying is absolutely right, but Paul also said in Romans 10, confess with your mouth.
2: And, you know, Bill, I had a radio show for years, and there was a certain caller who did not think I was saved because I didn't know the day I was saved. Hmm. And according to him, you have to know the day you prayed the prayer Mm -hmm. in order to be saved, and I would respond... Show me one verse that says you have to know the day. And, and and my response was, I think the Apostle Paul could tell you the day he was saved. It's, you know, he got knocked down on the road to Damascus. Boom. I don't think Timothy, Timothy was raised in the faith. You know, it was first in your mother Eunice, grandmother Lois, or the but here was Timothy who was raised in the faith. I bet Timothy would not have been able to tell you the day. And and same with this question about, you know, if a lot of people get saved by praying the prayer and asking Jesus into their heart. I think more people get saved by just believing on Christ, trusting in Christ, and they can't tell you a day they prayed the prayer. Praying the prayer doesn't save anybody. A lot of people pray the prayer and are going to hell because they don't continue in the faith. So there you go.
1: Well, what happens that, is that, that's that a once Jesus questions. comes into your heart.
0: Yeah, sorry, Tom
1: yeah. Parrish. Nope, nope, go right ahead, Bill.
0: Well, I'm just saying what you just said, Tom Brock, is, is a is a loaded statement, um, because if people pray to receive Christ mm-hmm. and a, a new seed has been planted in their heart that sprouts...
2: Yeah, then, then, then that is that right. way God used it for that person. But I've had... I've prayed the prayer with people who have accepted Christ, and then, you know, a week later, like Tom said earlier, they're not walking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I... See, I'll... A false, I think you can give people a false assurance, hey, I prayed the prayer, I'm saved, and I don't need to follow it up with the life of faith. And the Lutheran version of that is, hey, I got baptized, I don't need to follow that up with the life yeah, of well, faith. Yeah, well,
0: somebody did a horrible job of explaining the gospel to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, you're right, Bill, and that is the problem. And there are too many pastors, and I, and I was in this category at one time. Do not do an adequate job of doing that. Once I learned that I really had to help people understand the full commitment they're making, It made a world of difference in people's lives. But we don't always do that, and we're just as guilty, and we've got to be careful about that. And for people, you know, the
2: little Four Spiritual Law book? Mm -hmm. I've used that many, many times. I hand them out at funerals. So I am not against people praying a prayer and asking Christ in their heart. I'm just saying you can be saved without coming to Christ that way. There's more than one way to get a fish into the boat. But but along uh, Tom's lines... When I get to that part when I'm reading somebody the four spiritual laws now would you like to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart I stop now and I say now you need to know make sure what you need to know what this means this could cost you your life someday when you pray this prayer this is the beginning of your Christian life it's not the end and the rest of your life you're trusting in Christ you're following Christ and and people overseas are dying because they are following Christ. Do you really want to pray the prayer? And I, I put it to him like, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I really do. Well, then I'll pray it with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I make it a little hard now. Counting the cost. Yeah. yeah. Nicely done.
1: I think where we've fallen short is that we are content to ask people to make a decision for Jesus without informing them that from this moment on, Jesus wants to make decisions for them. Hmm. And once we get that straight, then we start walking <laughs> with him.
0: Nice job. All right. Uh, Psalm 23, it's a big one. Everyone knows it, loves it, reads it. They're comforted by it. But when you hear things like, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still water um, and also walking through the valley of the shadow of death, where is that? And when it comes to lie down, are these metaphors for for sheep or for us?
1: Both. Okay. <laughs> the metaphor is in sense that the sheep do this. I mean, this is what a, a shepherd would observe mm-hmm. and do with the sheep. So he picked up on that theme, you know, David, as he wrote this. But the bottom line is, yes, those of us that follow the Lord are going to have our moments of great contentment. We're going to have great peace and joy. There are going to be days we bask in the sun, but there's also going to be a day when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus will be with us as much in that shadow of death as he was in those wonderful days. And so we trust him, and the outcome is assured we're going to be with him forever.
2: Mm -hmm. And David, who was a shepherd boy, wrote the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd, and I I do think it's full of symbolism. Mm -hmm. And and I do think we need to explain it, because I said during the break, when I was a little boy, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I think I said, Mom, aren't we supposed to want the Lord? And I didn't understand what... It's, I, thou shall, I shall not want, of course, I shall not be in want. I shall not be need in need of things because the Lord's all I need. Yeah. But we need to explain stuff, especially to kids. What was your
0: grade in 10th grade algebra? Ooh. Remember? Not so good. Yeah. See, this all makes sense to me now. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm putting some Ouch. pieces together. I don't take it so personally. I'm just joking. I won't sleep tonight, Bill. All right. <laughs> all right I've got a... a text that came in, the very heartbreaking with the rejection and resentment of her heart regarding her adult children. So the enemy wants to divide me from them, and the Holy God wants me to love these children unconditionally. I can't generate unconditional love from my own deprived heart. What kind of prayer can I ask the Lord for with regard to his unconditional love and my need for it in my heart?
1: I think what she just said there, I think what she just said in the statement is the exact prayer she needs to be praying to the Lord. Lord, I don't have the power. I can't generate it. I don't feel it. I don't know how to do it. But your word says I should do it. I believe what your word says. Jesus, you've got to generate the power within me for my children because I don't have a clue. And I find that when people pray like that, Bill and Tom, it is astounding the people the Lord bring into their life who help them and kind uh, of escort them along the path and pray with them to help them deal with these issues. But honesty with the Lord Jesus, I think, is the best policy. Tell him the truth, and he knows exactly what to do with it. Mm-hmm.
2: And I had a providential meeting last week. I was in an area of town garage sailing that I don't get to very often. And okay. here I see someone that I haven't seen for a long time, dear Christian woman, who has a situation in her house where she's got some difficulty with some people and And I heard around, and we we prayed and everything, but I said, "Make sure you have a Christian woman in your life that you can talk with once a week and pray with once a week about this this difficult people issue and I would say that to this woman that just you know uh if you've got some difficult adult children you're trying to love and et cetera, try to not to do that by yourself get get a Christian woman that you can pray with." who can counsel with you, so you're not going through this alone.
1: Absolutely.
0: I like that. A lot of great wisdom coming from a couple of retired Lutheran pastors today. I'm not
2: retired, <laughs> Bill. I know, you've got a TV show. I'm on television. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 Tom Parrish, have a wonderful teaching session tonight with the fortunate so people that will be blessed by your wisdom and teaching and leadership. I appreciate that. I know you've got a lot on your plate today, and yet you took time to join us for Guide Talk. So thank you very much. I feel flattered and honored. Good to be with you, Bill. And I, Tom, I feel thank the you same, so much. You, you bet. And Tom Brock, I feel the same way about I, you. you are, I cut short garage selling today just to be that's here, That's what I Bill. mean. That's my whole point. That's my, yeah. that's my sacrifice, Yes, yeah. You gave up a lot to be here on time. <laughs> no, but you are, you are a faithful man of God, and you show up uh, faithfully to this, and I appreciate that. Thank, thank you. you, Bill. Yeah. And Peter and Justin, I hope you're having a great day, and thank you For all the great questions, these were a bunch of wonderful things for us to ponder and chew on. And I pray that the Holy Spirit led you to some uh, answers and some other ways in which you can investigate God's Word on your own to help come up with your own conclusions based on what the Word of God says. So we're going to take a little break when we come back. Heather Holloman, Dr. Heather Holloman, is going to be joining me for the full hour. You are going to love this. She is going to talk about being seated at the table. You're going to not want to miss a minute. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.